Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. What I want to do is talk through a few verses in Mark today on Jesus's growth plan. This uh, chapter had a lot of different things in it. Uh, with the man with the shriveled hand being healed, the Pharisees, you know, plotting to kill him now because, again, he's going against the grain. He's doing ministry on the Sabbath day, uh, on the Sabbath. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, it talks about how these Pharisees are saying, listen, you are operating in the power of, of Satan. You know, you're basically de- demonically possessed. And then Jesus gives some good illustrations there, talks, talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do is hone in on just a few verses in the middle of the chapter. So if you want to look at chapter 3, verse 13, I want to look at these verses today and take a look at what Jesus's growth plan is for the church, his body. Verse 13 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Sons of Thunder. I could only imagine what those two did. I'm gonna call you Sons of Thunder. (laughs) It's a cool nickname. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. When we think about Jesus and his disciples, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how he chose them, why he separated the 12, what he did with these 12, what was the purpose of why he spent time, like intimate time, like when he raised individuals from the dead, he was with Peter, James, and John, three of them. And then he spent three and a half years daily with 12 of them, yet he never turned down the big crowds of hundreds, and then if not thousands, and then uh, estimates would be close to 8,000, even from when Sharice was talking about the feeding of the 5,000, they counted men back then in those types of events. So there would have been women and children there too. But if we look at these verses uh, in Mark, I think there are just some things plain as day right here that can tell us how Jesus wants us to make disciples, simply following his plan. Now, it's interesting that he picks 12, because if you know about the 12 tribes of Israel, talking about the restoration of God's people, him picking 12 symbolized, I believe, the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. I believe it prophesies toward the restoration of all of God's people. Now, if you look at the team that he puts together, Matthew was a tax collector. Last week I said he was basically hated by all. He was an outcast, despised in those days. Simon uh, was renamed Peter, which means rock. But you also know that he stuck his foot in his mouth many times by speaking out of turn. Simon the Zealot. Zealots were violent nationalists in those days. So he was one that was always ready to protest and go after uh, the government. Judas, he turned out to be a greedy traitor. Uh, You have some uneducated fishermen. You have a set of brothers, again, called Sons of Thunder. Uh, This was a very mixed group of men. And I'm not sure that any of them would actually have qualified to follow a rabbi as it was set up in those days. So it looks like Jesus picked a motley crew, right? Unqualified, uneducated in these areas, but God had a plan for them. 
I think anytime you feel un- unqualified, anytime you feel like even what Sharice was saying, that you're not chosen by God, go back and read this list. Or if you have a study Bible somewhere in the book of Mar- Mar- uh, uh, Matthew or Mark, it'll probably list uh, those 12 uh, apostles and what they did and some of their backgrounds. These were average guys that he picked. Even some of them were below average uh, according to society. And yet Jesus trained them up to change the world. So I think we've overcomplicated this. What I wanna do Even when I talked about, I think it was four weeks ago about our 2020 vision, realigning some of our ministries. We're gonna begin to realign how we make disciples by using Jesus's simple model that begins here in the book of Mark. I read this really cool uh, quote by a pastor, Neil Cole. He says, if we seek to make churches, we'll never make disciples. But if we seek to make disciples, we'll always make churches. So I agree with church events. I agree with church programs and ministries. I think those things are all helpful if they are uh, uh, adding back to the process of making disciples. It can't be uh, come to the, the spring tour and then that's it. Like my goal was to get to the women's spring tour and now that's done so then you go back to life. It's to meet individuals so you can come into closer relationship so you can come into a discipleship relationship with other people. You guys with me? So let's just hone in on three verses here. Mark 3, I've already read them. Jesus went up on a mountainside. We know based on previous verses in this chapter, this was the hill country of Galilee near the lake. He called to him those he wanted, pretty simple, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Again, if you, if you don't have a study Bible, I would encourage you to use your hard copy Bible and then get on some of the websites that are there that will actually link you to other gospels that have the same accounts in them. There's Luke chapter six that we're gonna read now. This is the exact same event, but it gives some other clues that then we're gonna compare in just a moment. Luke chapter six, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. This is something Mark didn't tell, but it's the same event, just a different perspective. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So what we're gonna do, you're gonna see on the screen both sets of verses, one from Mark and one for Luke. And I wanna point out a few different keys of how Jesus wanted uh, his disciples to be trained up and to grow, and then eventually to do what he did. The very first thing is Jesus got alone and prayed. Jesus was serious enough about impacting other people's lives. You might say, well, yeah, but he was Jesus. Yeah, but the Bible also says is that he set his divinity aside to walk this earth as a man completely connected with the Father. So as he's praying to the Father, the Father obviously led him to go into a deep time of prayer where Luke says that he spent all night praying about this, about who to actually choose. So Jesus was extremely serious and intentional about this process of raising up his disciples. Now, the implication is is that God actually told him who to pick. It doesn't say that in the verses. I'm assuming if he spent all night praying, he like wasn't praying about three weeks from now. He went to the mountainside with a purpose. He spent the time praying because then in the morning, it says here, Jesus recruited them. He called those to his side. Now, what I like in Mark's uh, edition, it says that he called to his side those he wanted. What I like about this is he spent enough time with the father that the father's desires became his desire. 
that he wasn't resistant to this. He spent enough time in prayer where he was sure enough. He's like, you know what? The father's saying to pick these individuals to pour my life into. I like this idea that the father's giving me. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to begin to choose them. What I also see here is that he is choosing them. They're not choosing him. Now I did some study and I read about this and most of the time, rabbis that were known in the area, the students, the younger students would pick the rabbis. So like, oh, you're the popular one. Oh, you're the smart one. Oh, you're the really cool one. Oh, you're the trendy one. I want to follow you. And the rabbis would wait to come. What I found out was only the most radical rabbis of that day would go and say, I want you, I want you, I want you, and I want you. So when Jesus goes and picks them, All the other Pharisees, the rabbis, the teachers of the law, when they're hearing about this, it's like, whoa, this guy thinks he's something. But what he was doing is he was following the ways of the Father, right? Now, what happens most of the time in groups, and this isn't a bad thing, I actually talked, I helped to train our group leaders yesterday. I said, when I talk about this tomorrow, I'm not demeaning groups. The way most church groups happen is the list gets put in the catalog and we wait to see who signs up to the group. But what we find out throughout the semester is, is attendance starts to trickle and trickle and trickle until the group's a lot smaller than it was when it started. And a lot of times, because we, as individuals, we sign up for something, we're like, okay, God, this might look good. Maybe we don't spend necessarily enough time praying about it. And then because the commitment isn't there, it starts to wane as the semester goes on. But what Jesus did, he heard from the Father. He knew in the heart, in his heart, the Holy Spirit was doing this. And he goes out and picks them and they all respond positively. And a couple of years ago, I started thinking about, uh, you know, we, had, we used to have Sunday school in the older generations of church and Sunday school taught the word deep, but it didn't build relationships. And about 25 years ago, there was a huge shift in the church. We're not doing Sunday school on Sunday mornings anymore. We're doing small groups, you know, during the week. So small groups were great for relationships, but it didn't always get deep enough in the word. What I think, what I started to to wrestle with was, what I started to struggle with is that neither of these models actually activates people into the lifestyle that Jesus wants them. One gives them all the word, the other gives them the encouragement through the relationship, but there's not an obedience, a walking out of what we're actually learning in relationship. So I started to think about, what if we did what Jesus did? What if we actually went to 5, 10, 15 people, whatever it is, maybe not 15, maybe 5 or 10. If Jesus went to 12, maybe we shouldn't cap out after that. And we say, listen, I've spent a significant amount of time praying about this. And instead of us joining a group for maybe 12 weeks, and I want to stop and pause, we will always have groups here that are based on needs, that are that, that those 12 weeks long, we'll always have classes that are for this period. There's a need for that. I'm talking about lifestyle discipleship that Jesus did. So if you go to somebody, you say, I've prayed for a good enough time about this that I think I felt led to come and ask you, will you come on a journey with me? Well, how long? Eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks? That's what the semester is. No, maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two years. Let's just go, let's just start and go. Now, this time, when I talk to people, they usually start to shake their heads. No, this will never happen. We can't even get people to commit for 12 weeks and you're asking for a year, right? But maybe, just maybe, the Father will tell them the same thing he told you. And maybe that higher commitment, that that larger piece of dying to yourself, they'll say, you know what? I might not be able to make it for this short season or a few weeks, but I'm in, let's do this thing. 
And maybe you don't use any curriculum. Maybe you take the word and you open the word and chapter by chapter, you start going through books that the Father's leading you to. And in that time together, you say, listen, we refuse to just read this stuff and learn it. We're going to practice it. We're gonna find out what we can do to activate ourselves, to push the go button in our lives and do it. And then the next time we meet together, we're actually gonna talk about if we obeyed the Holy Spirit or not. How much, see, this, is, this started to get me excited, like, wow, we can actually see radically transformed lives. People learning the word in relationship and actually obeying the Holy Spirit. So now it's not one person going out for a meal, but it's you and a friend inviting a group of people out for a meal. Saying, you know what, I'm sensing a prophetic word for this person, pray for me. And you go and you share it with them. I think in the most raw terms, this is what Jesus did. He listened to the Father, he chose. Now, in Luke's translation, what does it say? He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Check this out. How many disciples did he have then? We usually think, oh, he had 12. This is 12. Because we see in earlier in Mark and then earlier in Matthew, he chooses Levi. He says, you, follow me. He goes to James and John and says, follow me. For years, I thought he called his 12 up to that mountaintop and said, okay, you 12 are my apostles. No, that's not what the word says. The word says he called his disciples, hundreds of them, if not thousands. Because if you look back a chapter earlier, remember the house was so full whenever the guys lower uh, the paralyzed man. These are people that were following. Remember Levi, having dinner at Levi's house? The house was packed with sinners, with um, tax collectors that were following him. So now he has hundreds of people on this mountaintop. He's going, I want you, 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 you. So what if you were the one standing between Bartholomew and Thaddeus? He's like, Bartholomew, you're with me. Thaddeus, you're with me. And he walks away. What would you say in your heart? That's not fair. <laughs> right? Well, Jesus just wants a click. He's just trying to be all clickish. Maybe he heard the father. Maybe it was a spirit-led thing to gather a group of people around him that he would walk with. So when I start seeing these simple principles in his words, I'm like, wait a minute, there's actually, this is doable. Out of an entire congregation, if we had 10, 12 people that were willing to pray long enough to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I feel led to call five people. I feel led to call eight people. I've prayed about this enough. We're not excluding other people. We're just following the Holy Spirit in the ways of discipleship. So then what you see throughout the pattern of the gospels is Jesus still spoke and ministered in a teaching style to the thousands. He spent day-by-day day ministry with the 12. And then he would take even three of them. Like the first time Jesus raises somebody from the dead or when, it, when um, yeah, I think it was, it was, that may have been the first time. And he calls Peter, James, and John. He's like, you three, come with me. And they come back like, Jesus, just raise somebody from the dead. It was awesome. And so, and then he's going up onto the mountain to be transfigured. And he's like, you three, it's the same three, come with me. Like I would feel so left out if I was one of those other 12 until you realize this is what the Holy Spirit wants. Jesus wasn't trying to set up a fair system. He was listening to the Father and following what the Father was saying. And we can do the same. 
So it doesn't say this in Mark, but it does say it in Luke that Jesus appointed these 12 to be apostles. I've shared this before, but we have some new folks. That word apostle was a secular term. Jesus borrowed it from the Roman Empire. What would happen is the Roman uh, soldiers, Roman uh, military would go in and conquer a new land. Those were the soldiers. It was the military, okay? So they go in, they don't kill everybody, so there's still people in this conquered land left. Military leaves, and the Roman emperor would send in somebody named apostles. So now the apostles would come in. The role of the apostle was to make the conquered kingdom live like, look like, smell like, act like the conquering kingdom. So they came from an external kingdom into an internal kingdom and said, this is how we're now going to do life. This is the new roles. These are the new laws. This is how you're gonna celebrate. These are gonna be the statutes that we follow. This is how you sign out library books now. Everything in that new conquered kingdom was supposed to look like the rolling kingdom. So when Jesus is like, okay, out of you 500, I want you 12. And listen, you are gonna be my apostles. This was not a spiritual term. These men knew, whoa, this person is about to train me up in a way that I'm going to go into enemy territory. We're going to take it over and make it look like the kingdom that he wants. That's why all the way to the end of his life, when Jesus is talking about dying and resurrecting, they're like, but when are you gonna take the throne? Like they think this is an earthly government takeover strategy. So I need you to know that when Jesus is saying, you're my apostles, they knew like they are gonna be sent into other lands to reshape and reform culture. How many of you know that doesn't happen with one outreach event? It, do, it doesn't happen just by giving meals to a neighborhood and then leaving. That's why we own a mobile home in Washington Estates. Because it's not a one-time thing. We're going in there to help transform the culture. So that kingdom of Washington Estates looks more like the Father's kingdom than an earthly kingdom by the time we're done ministering there. And Jesus wanted these 12 to do this, these 12 hand-picked apostles. Something else we see in here, two specific purposes. You'll see it in Mark. Two purposes, and this is really what changed a lot of my thoughts about how we do discipleship in the American church. Two things, he called out, 12 that he wanted with him, and they came to him for what reasons? That they might be with him so that he can send them out with authority. So the first purpose was to be with him. That means they would watch him every day. The good parts, the bad parts, the stressful parts, the easy parts. They saw him minister. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him heal the sick. They saw how he interacted with the adulterous woman. They saw how he interacted with the poor. They saw how he interacted with the Pharisees who thought they had it all together. They saw that he was calm, but also bold. They saw that he was loving and compassionate, but also holy enough to go into the temple and knock the tables over. They were with him long enough to understand that Jesus had the power to transform their life from the inside out. I started thinking, okay, well, as people, as disciplers, as us who are supposed to make disciples, we should probably follow that first portion, right? We should be with him long enough until we are filled up 
to then fulfill the second purpose. So the first thing he wanted out of those 12 was to be with him. The second purpose, it says it right there, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Jesus did not call these 12 together so they could have a kumbaya club for three and a half years. They knew from day one that they were the structure of this. The goal of this was not to come in to feel safe and have all their needs cared for. In fact, I don't think that they felt necessarily safe a lot of times when Jesus is like, hey, go ahead out and do this thing and I'm not going with you this time. He brought them to his side in order to learn the kingdom, to learn the concepts and the culture of the kingdom of God so that they would have the authority that they needed to one day go out and do the same works that Jesus was doing. Now, a lot of times we'll see in our small groups, and again, this is, I'm gonna change the way that I lead, so it's not bad, but what we'll see is that people will get into a group and then they'll stay there for years and years. Why? Because of relationship, good thing. Because their needs are being met, again, that's a good thing. People are caring for them and showing compassion. However, if you are remaining in the same group year after year for your own needs to be met, then you are at risk of becoming inwardly focused. Jesus never taught his apostles to be inwardly focused. So if he saw their destiny and he was training them up to send them out, did he care for their needs? Did Jesus work through some issues of pride, unbelief, doubt, worry, fear with his disciples? Absolutely. So we're saying a discipleship model where you pray, you ask people to join you for a journey that might be longer than a semester, and you start on this journey, but your entire intention is to spend enough time with each other that you look more like Jesus, that like Paul says, as I follow Christ, you follow me. Right, so you're vulnerable, you're transparent, you're walking with people, but their destiny is your purpose. Launching them out into the destiny and the purposes that they have is the reason why you've gathered them together. Please know you will still have opportunities to care for their needs. This isn't all about outreach, right? So something's gonna happen, something in their marriage will come up, something with parenting will come up, their financial problems will come up, and then you'll actually get to minister to their soul. You with me? If you look at Luke's translation, in Luke chapter six, he calls the 12. We're not gonna read these, but in Luke seven and eight, they watch him teach about the kingdom. He heals the sick and he raises the dead. So six, he calls them. Seven and eight, he ministers. By the time we get to chapter nine, he says, you 12, it's time to go. So now you're gonna go out You're not allowed to take any materials with you. And when you go, this part of Luke chapter nine coincides with Matthew chapter 10. When he says, when you go out, preach that the kingdom of God is near. This is what I want you to do. Go ahead and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Like I was like, I've only been with you for two chapters, Jesus. Like I need more time. They didn't have chapters back then, by the way. Like, can you imagine? This is not a long time, guys. 
He's like, you're my apostles. Just watch me. Just watch me for a little bit. And he does all this stuff. He's like, okay, now you guys go out and do it too. But it went. They went with his power and with his authority, the word says. So again, we're not going out on some like just little outreach. We're going with the power and with the authority of the Holy Spirit. Now, I like what happens here because a lot of times we think that's the end of discipleship. Oh yeah, Jesus sent them out on outreach and then they came back to him. That was not the full purpose. That was what was called an activation. He got them active doing what he was teaching them because they came back and guess what? A few chapters later, it actually might be, no, the very next chapter, he sends out 72 two by two. I actually, this is not in here. This is my own opinion. I actually believe that he had those 12 meeting with those 72 to do what he's doing to prepare the way they can shadow them and then send them out. But guess what? They come back. And it's not until the end of Matthew when he gives the great commission that they get sent out for good. And he doesn't say, go and do outreach, go and do a few nice events, make sure the banner looks great. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That was the purpose. Be with me in order that I can send you out. This was not a one-time thing, a one-weekend thing. This was a lifestyle they were supposed to follow. If you don't think you're capable of doing this, wait until two more chapters in the book of Mark. You're gonna read about a guy that had at least 2,000 demons in him. He slept in the tombs. He would break the chains. Nobody could handle him. Jesus shows up on a boat, delivers him. The demons go into the pigs. They fly off. Everybody's freaked out. He's getting back onto the boat to leave. The guy who is free and in his right mind is like, Jesus, I want to be on your team. And Jesus is like, again, paraphrasing, I already have my 12. You're not allowed to come. You stay here. But don't just stay here. You go and tell what happened. This man has been saved. I don't know if it's been hours or days. It doesn't say, but literally not a long time. New believer, no new believer lessons, no, no, no scriptures to quote. And he goes upon the Decapolis. It's called the 10 cities. He goes city to city to actually tell people what Jesus did. So please do not use the excuse. I'm not ready. I don't know enough scripture. I haven't been trained. 2,000 demons set free and sent to do the work of the Father. We can do this, guys. So got a few illustrations and then we'll end. You guys all right? So the kingdom of God, if you look through scripture, it is contextualized in family. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are unified as family, right? The church is given the example of family. In fact, even uh, in Ephesians 6, where it talks about husbands and wives, and Paul's like teaching, it's a like great teaching on, uh, on the wife and on the husband. You're like, yeah, this is awesome for marriage. And then at the end he goes, but this really isn't about marriage. This is about your union with Christ. So what I look at is this, is our relationships in this earth are supposed to mirror the relationship that the Father has with the Son, that has with the Holy Spirit, and then what the, the, the Son has with us. So this is how this works in natural life. None of this will be new. You have parents. You have two parents, okay? And they have a few kids. Thank you, Joanna, for the cool stick figures. <laughs> so these children are going to grow up, and the parents... We always say we're raising children. No, we're not. We're raising responsible adults. You're not raising someone to stay a child. We're raising these young God-given people to our lives for the 18 years that we have them to raise up 
people who will be spirit-filled, mature, God-fearing, God-loving adults, okay? Now, there are specific situations of why some children stay uh, with their parents when they're, when, when they're adults, but in the majority of the time, when you grow up, you can't wait to leave. <laughs> You're like, I'm out, I'm going to college, right? So the, the, the children leave and they eventually find someone they love. And when they find someone they love, they get married and then they have children until the family expands, okay? Now this is normal. In fact, it's celebrated and expected, okay? Now, once your children have children, do the, do the parent, the new parents, do they stop being children to their parents? No. Are they never allowed to come back again? No. Do you ever hear, do you ever hear a son and a daughter-in-law say, mom and dad, I feel like you've divided our family because now we have our own family. Do you ever hear that? Not at all. What they do is we rearrange holidays and instead of going to grandma's house, now we go to mom's house and instead of going here, now we go here. But you're still welcome to come back and you're still a child to the parent and you still celebrate together and you get together for holidays, for movie night, for big dinners and so on. This right here is expected and celebrated in the natural, yet in the church, it's unexpected and resisted. This is a picture of the kingdom. We resist the very thing in the spiritual that we celebrate in the natural. I love that my kids are having kids and it's a big family and this and that. You know what you hear in the church? You're forcing me to leave my group. You're dividing my group. You're not gonna do that to me. We've been together for so long and we're friends now. Your child is not going to say that to you. Your child will be excited when they get to say, hey, we're expecting a child. Now you're gonna get to be a grandparent. So in 2 Timothy 2.2, if you wanna put that slide up, Timothy, Paul, the apostle Paul, was a spiritual father to Timothy. You guys doing okay? This is like a teaching, so I don't wanna like lose you. You all right? So Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. And what does he tell Timothy to do? He says, the things that you have heard me say, this is Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So if you follow this out, Paul's the spiritual father, Timothy's a spiritual son. Timothy is told to tell reliable men or people who will then talk, talk and teach and disciple others who are qualified. So now Paul is no longer a spiritual father. He's not even a spiritual grandfather. Paul's limit of success, not limit, but Paul's definition of success was to be a spiritual great-grandfather. This is what he was telling Timothy to do. So what does this look like for us? Well, it's you by yourself. Okay. Regardless of where you are in your faith, you have a calling on your life to make disciples. It's what Jesus sent us to do. In fact, if you look at that mountaintop, which might've been the same mountaintop that Jesus first called his 12. And Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. What is he saying? He's saying, I, I want you to go and teach more people how to love, how to show compassion, how to forgive, but also about the kingdom, how to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Everything I've shown you, go and do it. 
If those 12 would not have done it in an effective way, like 2 Timothy, you would not be sitting here right now. Think about that. Your spiritual lineage would go all the way back to one of those apostles because they were willing to disciple somebody who was willing to disciple somebody 2,000 years later, your grandmother, your grandfather, somebody brings you to church and you hear about this person named Jesus. This multiplication thing works. So you are a disciple, you pick people. You ask the Lord, who can I pour into? And you don't get nervous about curriculum. You just say, let's meet and let's talk about the word. Let's do this. So you disciple them and guess what? They're actually so filled with excitement that they know more about Jesus. In fact, we'll pause here. If you, I, I thought about this this morning during worship of how many people sitting here have never had one person walk through with their life for six months or 12 months to teach them about the Lord. That's a scary fact. I think that the percentage would be a lot higher. I'm not gonna ask you to raise hands. But think about it. Have you had one person in a small group of two, four, six, eight, whatever, that have walked through where you could ask questions, you could share your doubts, your fears, you can pray together, grow together. This thing is doable. So you disciple three people. Let's say it's a year. They're pumped up about it and they wanna go and disciple other people. Well, guess what? Out of those three, now it might be, nine, 10, 12 people, okay? So then now, now you're starting to see, okay, this is working. I poured into three. They poured into three, four, or five. Now you, when you see you have done a good job of pouring into them, because guess what? While these three are discipling the three, six, nine, you're still with them, right? Do you stop being their spiritual parent? No. Do you tell them, well, now that you have your own disciples, you're not allowed to come to my house anymore? No, you can even still be in the same small group while they're leading something else, right? We're not telling you to sever your relationships. Stay there, help them, pour into them until this multiplication effect happens. 2,000 years later, it starts with Jesus and his 12, and now we're sitting in church. So watch how quick this can happen. I need my cell phone because my math is on it. David, if you want to stand up, I'm not going to make you talk. Don't get nervous, guys. Uh, Ken, if you want to stand up, Danielle, Kaylee, I'll pick on you. Or just stand up. Very practical example. I'm not perfect. I don't know tons and tons and tons, and I don't, I don't know everything that's to be known about Scripture. But let's say the Lord leads me to these four individuals to simply share with them for a year. So we're going to talk through the Word. We're going to live life together. We're going to go out on meals with our families. We're going to minister out there. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to do all the stuff that we see with Jesus, okay? That year's up and they're like, you've done an okay job, but Jesus is gonna help me do the rest. And these three choose to disciple three more. Now let's say I take a break. I don't disciple three more. I just spend my time saying, how are things going? Why don't we get together every month? Let's stay in touch, okay? So they each disciple three more. So this is what you're gonna do, Kaylee. Actually, all four of you, you're just gonna help me count quickly. It's gonna be estimates after this round in your group of who's gonna stand up, I'll tell you. So just one, two, three, stand up. One, two, three, stand up. One, two, three, if you can just stand up. And one, two, Nora, stand up. Okay, so this is the second year. Now we have nine more people being discipled. And you're like, oh my goodness, we have all these classrooms, what's happening? We only have nine people being discipled in this church? Like, this is crazy. So let's say they get through this. I'm helping the original four. And the original four for year three, they're gonna take a break. But the three that they discipled are going to each disciple three more. 
So the first individuals that I ask to stand up, just quickly count off nine people in your section and just stand up if they're pointing to you. So Kaylee, go right down that, go right down that thing. Yep, nine more. I know math could be like, we could lose it now. Okay, so for year one, there were, for year one, there were four people discipled. By the end of year two, there were 16 people. The original four plus then the nine, 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 okay? So there were 16. Now those three each discipled three, you with me? So now by the end of year three, we have 52 people discipled. Three years of really hard work, that doesn't seem like a lot, does it? Until multiplication takes its effect. Now these 27 people that are standing up right now, if they would choose to each disciple three more, that would be 27, each nine in the sections, that would be 27 more people. So the first four that I told to stand up, estimate 27 people and just have a few rows stand up. Kaylee, just have like the, like the next two rows stand up. 27 people, just estimate. So yeah, these next two rows, just stand up. That's fine. All right. Actually, you'll just stay standing at the end of this. This is how I'll close service today. So 27 people in each section now just got discipled during year four. That's a total of 160. Well, we have about 500 people that would call Central their home, maybe a little bit more. On an average Sunday, we have 400 adults that come and only 160 get discipled by year four. But if each one of these 27, now year one, year two, year three disciples, they are just taking a break and they're just pouring into the people that they've already discipled. So they're not even doing, they're not even doing this all over again. They're just helping the one who's pouring in. If each one of those 27 people disciple just three for a year, 81 in each section would stand up. So why don't we go all the way back to maybe the third row. You can stand up. This entire section can stand. That entire section can stand. Uh, maybe to Troy, your row, go ahead and stand up. We'll just keep a few rows. Okay, at the end of year four, at the end of year five, we would have 484 people discipled. We just surpassed our Sunday attendance by 84 people in five years. Now, if those 81 people across the board in each section decided to disciple just three, then everybody else in this bill in this room can stand up. Go ahead and stand up. We would disciple. 243 more people per section in that year, totaling in just six years, 1,456 people. Now, let's say I don't take a break. Let's say, you know what? Jesus can use me to disciple four the first year and I'll keep up with them, but I'm gonna take three more through it. And let's say they, the, the people I disciple, continue to disciple also. And let's say the nine, the 27, the whatever, 52, whatever it is. Let's say you each continue to disciple. In those first six years, we would have over 6,000 people that have had somebody walk through life with them for about a year, teaching them, showing them, activating them, and living a lifestyle of the kingdom. 
that to me is doable. Like Becky said, when you hear a verse that Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, you're like, this is crazy. How in the world do we do this? And then you break it down. Well, how did Jesus do it? He picked a few, spent time with them, sent them out. And what did they do? They spent time with people, sent them out all the way until here. With the power of the Holy Spirit, this is absolutely doable. That I think in the chart that I used before, in like 17 years, we would disciple this entire world. I think it'd be, I think it's seven, because of the multiplication effect, I think in 17 years, we could actually disciple every person walking on the face of this earth. It's not about all of you looking at this speaker here. It's about us making disciples by advancing the kingdom everywhere we go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would put this deep in our heart and that you would simplify it for us. The Father, you are mysterious in your ways and you're too amazing to ever be comprehended. You actually put this in a way that can be understood. Father, I thank you that you've given us enough already to make an impact in somebody else's life. I, I thank you, God, that you have given us the wisdom on how to etch out one hour a week to spend with someone else. And Father, I pray that we would see a discipleship movement begin here at Central until we would start to see our own church members having lunch with people who are lost and saying, hey, why don't you come on a journey with me? And that, Father, we would invite them into a learning journey, just like Jesus did. You know, I'm just, you can open your eyes now. Sorry, I'll pause my prayer. This is really cool, but the apostles were not born again. They weren't Christians when Jesus said, you're now my disciples. Does does this make sense? I want you to catch that. People can, a disciple means learner. You're a follower. So somebody can be your disciple and learn from you and follow you before they ever know Jesus. It's not outreach until they say yes to Jesus and then it's discipleship. This isn't a program. This is, you have lunch with somebody and maybe five lunches later, they say yes to Jesus. But between lunch one and five, they're already learning from you. Teach them about the kingdom without saying, it's this verse in this chapter. Just tell them what's inside of you. Okay, close your eyes. Father, we we do ask God that you would give us boldness. You would give us the courage that we need to reach out, to simply be Jesus to someone else. God, I thank you that your method works. I thank you, God, that the 400 people that are sitting here because of you pouring into your 12 apostles, it couldn't have happened any other way. There's no side road to this. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and you've made a way for us to disciple people. So Father, I pray that you would encourage us once again. You would show us how we can each be a part of this family while we're being transformed by Jesus, being empowered by your Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom everywhere we go. We thank you. We commit our lives to you. And Father, as we sang before, you can have it all. So you can have my time. You can have my convenience. You can have my safe parts of my life. And you can take us on a journey that will be so much more exciting than we could ever do on our own. We love you and we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. So this is my encouragement to you. If you're not in a group and you've never been discipled, join a group. If you feel like 
you want to pour out to somebody, use a card and just write the word marked on it in your bulletin or in your uh, pew. You can turn it in and I'll call you. Eric and Julie are down here if any of you want to be a part of the lunch project. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.